bad thing happens, you can either let it destroy you, define you, or strengthen you. Choose wisely. Folks, welcome back. This is Mark Vine with the Unbeatable Mind podcast. So stoked you were able to join me today. It's going to be well worth your time. My guest today is James Schmachtenberger, CEO, co-founder of Neurohacker Collective. So James is a jack of all trades, master of some. You know, he got his start as a running a holistic health school. Pretty cool. Sold that, became a cannabis expert. And did a lot of advocacy work to try to legalize cannabis and deal with that kind of murky world. Uh, he actually also produced a award-winning documentary or like super highly viewed documentary on that whole in- industry and the benefits of cannabis, which uh, people are just starting to learn about. So he was way before his time there. And then uh, true to his form, he's way ahead of the curve uh, with Neurohacker in creating a whole movement around optimizing the human being not just human performance, but the human being. So mental performance, brain health, longevity, sleep, focusing. And I got to tell you, first, as a, a little bit of a insight. I am an investor in the company because I believe so much in their vision. And I also use the products. I use uh, their quality of mind and also quality of life, formerly Eternus. And I, I think they're just fantastic. So, And also at the end, I'll, I'll tell you about a little offer that they have offered uh, you as a listener if you want to try them. But I, I don't plug too many products. I only plug products that I use and, and Qualia is one of them. At any rate, before I get into these things, I know that we're still you know, dealing with COVID and all the racial tension and um, this crazy election coming up. And just know that this is a perfect time to really remember that it's most important to control the only thing you can control, which is your interior, your mindset. And Unbeatable Mind Training is all about that. So you can take control of your mindset, take control of your, you know, the quality of your thinking, your attention, where you put your attention, understanding clearly your why, what you're about, you're supposed to do about that why in terms of your mission and your daily targets. And also to take control of your emotional states and to transmute negativity into positivity, feed the courage. Well, it's a really comprehensive path to uh, essentially um, becoming the, the most whole and integrated version of yourself possible in this lifetime. We've got now close to 400 certified coaches. So if you're interested in getting some coaching for you or your team, then we'd love to help you out. And if you're interested in becoming a certified coach, please contact us, uh, check out unbeatablemind.com. If you're interested in just learning the system for Unbeatable Mind, then also unbeatablemind.com, check that out. So a lot of cool things happening on our end as well. All right, back to James. Uh, James, thanks so much for joining me today. Uh, how are things going? Ah, great. Thanks for having me. And thanks for that intro. It was very nice. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, I mean, I loved uh, when I, I've got show prep from Allison, but I, I needed to go look at your bio and Neurohacker because I was like, I know you, you've just done some really interesting things in your life. And why don't you tell us in your own words, kind of your early influences and how you got interested in body, mind, you know, holistic health and then cannabis and, you know, what, what were some of the big movers in your life and, you know, that created who you are today? Good question. Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've pretty much always had a deep interest in natural medicine and in personal development. Like mm-hmm. 
from as far back as I can remember. Uh, when I was, I think I was about five or so, and my mom had participated in a drug trial and had very averse effects and almost died. Mm. Uh, ended up spending several months in the hospital. And during that time, she got introduced to a book on Ayurvedic medicine and ended up finding a solution for herself through Ayurvedic medicine. And so then that basically became a huge influence starting at an incredibly young age. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, even before that, I was, I'm sure you're familiar with transcendental meditation. Of course. Mm-hmm. So I was actually born in Fairfield, Iowa, the sort of hub of the TM movement. Right. What's the university? Uh, Maharishi University or? Yeah, Maharishi University of Maharishi. Management. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my parents were both working with the university um, and so I was kind of born into this a lot of ways really right? right. came up in meditation came up in natural medicine so it was just always not your not part. your average um, upbringing for sure yeah, no I'm, American upbringing I should say <laughs> I've been really fortunate to have a pretty unconventional life and to get to have some fairly unique experiences as a result. And also you know, from that have fairly unique lenses on how to look at the world. Right. But, you know, both my brother and myself didn't have a traditional education either. Like, yeah. I, mean, I saw you were very proud in your website or in your bio to say that you, you not only did you drop out of school, but you dropped out of homeschool. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's probably a testament to your mom and dad to be like, okay, this guy is uncontrollable. We can't teach him. So you're on your own. (laughs) Yeah, I have to say my my parents actually handled that pretty (laughs) impeccably well. Uh, But it was was a beautiful orientation that they had and one that I've obviously learned a lot from and think that has a lot of value broadly, which was both my parents recognized that most people don't seem to have a very deep interest in learning. And as a result, just sort of lack of curiosity about life in general. Mm-hmm. They're like, you know, we don't, that's not what we want. We want to foster as much curiosity to learn and develop as possible. And so rather than trying to require us to study kind of the standard topics in the standard ways, the orientation was really always around finding what it was that we were interested in and then finding ways to teach within those interests. Right. And so and like lo, and behold, lo and behold, that happens to be the secret sauce for learning. Right. <laughs> Amazing. Most people just seem to have to find that later on in life when they you know, find a topic they're really interested in. But, you know, I think oftentimes the experience of education so, can diminish that in, yeah, in the way that it traditionally happens. Did so. you ever end up getting a degree? Um, or are you CEO of a fast-growing company who <laughs> doesn't even have a high school diploma? That's awesome. <laughs> well, I, I sort of have a high school diploma. My mom made it on the computer. <laughs> I had. You can't even make that up. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah, we. My parents actually registered as a private school with just two students, my brother and myself, <laughs> and that way we didn't have to fit into the standard curriculum that would otherwise be there. But when I was fifteen, I had started getting interest in a number of different topics and wanted to go to uh, the local college and they wouldn't let me without a high school diploma. So as the head of the private school, she went ahead and gave me my high school diploma so that I could start taking college classes. <laughs> That's awesome. I actually loved that. I mean, it was a little awkward being that much younger than everybody else. Mm-hmm. But aside from that, um, getting in and being able to study things that I was actually really passionate about and was 
super exciting for me. But even there, I didn't continue. I did, I did about two years of college, but I personally don't learn in a very structured format. Mm -hmm. I tend to learn better in in in-person trainings. I learn well when I'm in, when I'm moving. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so as much as I enjoyed certain aspects of it, I decided it wasn't really my forte and started studying in other ways. And Mm -hmm. I had a pretty deep, entrepreneurial been from very young. So I was also eager to get out and start creating things in the world. Mm-hmm. What were some of those things from some of your early uh, forays into entrepreneurship? Well, I, um, part of my time growing up, I worked for my parents' book company and kind of started in very basic positions, just sort of sherping around books. Um, but, you know, moved into management over time mm-hmm. And so I, before I started my own ventures, I already had a little bit of experience with business and with managing people. But I, when I was 17, I started a small company, a small car dealer ship just while I was trying to figure out what I was doing. It wasn't the passion project. Um, but my first real thing was that at 18, I ended up taking over a vocational college that was teaching programs in both alternative medicine and alternative approaches to psychology. 18. That's interesting. Wow. Yeah, it was it was quite an experience. I I had been a student there and just completely fell in love with the work. Like I always had a deep personal development bend, and then being in that environment where there was the opportunity to do incredibly deep work, both personally as well as facilitated for others, I just totally lit up. And around the time I was graduating, the founder of the school had announced that he wanted to kind of semi-retire and. So I just got all excited and asked him if I could buy the school and then had to figure out how to raise money, which mm-hmm. you know, that ended up being uh, exciting. In itself, right? Especially for an 18 year old. That's why. Yeah. I mean, in retrospect, I, I've thought back about it and I'm like, what was he thinking? Why, why would you sell a college to an 18 year old? Right. I was going to ask that. that. Was he so well, <laughs> he must've developed a little trust in you through your, just the, your personality, your character. Yeah, I mean, it would, I'm really grateful for the experience because I mean, it it pretty deeply shaped who I am as a person today. Right. Uh, I end up spending almost ten years with that school. Now, uh, did, did, now, from a business perspective, did you grow it? Did did it you know earn money? Did you sell it? Like, how was that from an actual business structural perspective? Basically, the learn? the first year I took it over, I think I nosedived revenue by about thirty percent. Because <laughs> uh, I just had no clue of what I was doing, but during that year, I was studying business really extensively and brought on a couple mentors, and so I'd kind of gotten my sea legs under me by around that time, and then and then we started growing it pretty nicely, and over ended up growing about twenty five percent a year for the remaining eight years. Nice, um, but it, it took me a little bit of time to figure out what I was doing and and how to do that first. Mm-hmm. So then you transitioned, I think, into cannabis. So how did that happen? And where, where did your passion for that come from? So that was an accident. Recreational use? <laughs> Actually, no. I was, um, I mean, I had used cannabis a, a handful of times, but it wasn't really something that I had a lot of personal interest in. Mm-hmm. And at the time, it was actually something I had a decent amount of judgment around. I assumed that people who used it were just stoners. I didn't really understand anything about the medical effects. Right. Uh, but when I was running the college, 
a handful of my teachers, particularly ones that were teaching courses in like nutrition and herbology had started talking to me about cannabis. And I started you know, hearing more and more about the medical effects, which really intrigued me. And so I started to kind of deep dive into that and it opened up a whole new world. And I realized that was an area that was being dramatically underserved, especially at that time, because this was back 11 years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, and had the capacity to really help people. And so as I was exiting the college, I ended up opening my first dispensary here in San Diego. Uh, and I hadn't intended to be involved in that industry for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. You know, it was something that I was kind of envisioning doing as a transition before I figured out what my next major venture was. But I always grew up with a very activist orientation, you know, as a kid, I used to do door-to-door fundraising for Greenpeace and HRC and all that kind of stuff. And so when I got involved in cannabis, I very quickly started to see first how much it had the capacity to help people, but also how much stigma still existed, how much misinformation still existed. And that just sort of triggered the activist part in me to be like, hey, this isn't okay. We can't have people that are in life and death situations or you know, more commonly quality of life situations that can't have access to the thing that will make their life better. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up doing that documentary about the medical effects of cannabis. Um, what was the title of that again? I couldn't remember. <laughs> it's a bit of a dull title. It's medicinal cannabis and its impact on human health. Mm. Um, but the, the domain for it is marijuana movie.org okay. and the whole thing is available for free. At this point, you know, there's newer talk- research that's come out, but there's still some good data in there. Yeah, that kind of leads me to kind of my own curiosity is like, what are, I know cannabis and CBD can affect a lot, you know, a lot of different areas. And I know they're using it for vets and, and um, for healing and even pets. But in, from your opinion and research, what are the most beneficial aspects of either cannabis or CBD or, or both in terms of mm-hmm. human use? not medicinal use or healing, right? Right. Not recreational drug use. Right. I mean, I actually think there can be value in the recreational side of it oftentimes because mm-hmm. there is... For stress management and stuff like that. Yeah. there People have a need for stress management in general and people are always looking for solutions around that. And the health effects with cannabis are far better than they would be with alcohol or other right. alternatives. Mm-hmm. But... No, I mean, medicinally, it's sort of an extraordinary plant and the just sheer number of things that it's able to help uh, that have significant research behind them. But I think the areas that I've tended to focus most and have the most intrigue around are the things that cannabis is able to help that allopathic medicine can't or where it can help substantially more than allopathic medicine can. So like the prime area for that would be seizures. There are obviously seizure medications that exist and they're effective, but they have pretty much all of them have fairly significant downsides Mm -hmm. and they only control seizures to a relatively minimal extent. Um, And so like over the years now, I've had the opportunity to work with, I don't even know, many, many hundreds of people where, you know, they had different types of epilepsy and we were able to get them on either THC or CBD, depending on their situation and have that serve much more effectively for suppressing seizures than the medications they were on. And in a lot of cases, you know, effectively enough that they stopped using the other medications. 
So that's an area that I found really intriguing because it it is just a genuinely better solution than anything else that exists out there and mm-hmm. doesn't have any of the associated downsides. Right. Um, what about brain health? Doesn't see isn't there research now that CBD can help um, with mm-hmm. brain, like just either healing or just I'm not even sure what words to use here, but overall brain health. Absolutely. And, and is this something that Neurohacker would, is looking at for you know, productizing in your roadmap? We probably will be at some point, um, you know, given the fact that CBD still has sort of weird regulatory frameworks around it. Mm-hmm. We're not incorporating mm-hmm. it at this time, right. but it is, it is on the roadmap of things that I would like to incorporate as the capacity to do so is there. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I mean, both THC and CBD have a number of benefits in terms of brain health. You know, there have been a few studies that have come out showing indicators that the use of them can reduce amyloid plaque, which is a major cause of Alzheimer's and mm-hmm. dementia. But I think the main place where benefit happens in terms of brain health that is very well studied and well documented is based on the anti-inflammatory properties, mm-hmm. right? CBD is one of the very most anti-inflammatory substance, natural substances that exists. Hmm. And one of the major causes of any kind of brain fog or challenges is unnecessary inflammation in the brain. Interesting. Um, so it serves an important role there. And then it also serves as a neuroprotectant. Um, so it's you know got a lot of use in being able to support reduce damage if someone is to get a head trauma or has any kind of neurological issues from toxic exposure or anything like that, mm-hmm. then CBD can serve a really meaningful role in being able to minimize that. As preventative or, or once the injury has occurred? And let's say, you know, I'm, I'm a vet, like 20 years as a Navy SEAL, and, you know, research is pretty firm now that pretty much everyone who's firing a gun that much and blowing shit up that much is getting microtrauma right. and TBI at some level, and it may not show up immediately, but it might show up later on, like you said, as a increased risk of Alzheimer's or dementia or something like that. Right. So you're saying the CVD could help prevent that or or heal it once it's already occurred, the injury? Actually, or help heal it. Both. Right? Like if somebody's in a field of work or sports or something where they know that any kind of head trauma is likely then being on CBD is great because if something does occur, the amount of impact from that will be significantly reduced. But even if the traumas already happened, going on CBD can help to re- reduce the amount of damage, usually even years after the fact. Interesting. Now, I know you're not a scientist, but can you explain how it does that? Not adequately well. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> We'd need your brother for that one, right? Yeah. Right. Daniel, <laughs> pipe in here. Yeah, that is fascinating. And I know we're just getting warmed up trying to you know, understand the benefits of CBD and, and THC. And I think there's even other substances in the plant, right? And then the hemp itself, yeah. like crazy what you can create with hemp. And it's just, it's just almost a crime that they outlawed hemp, you know, back when in the thirties or something run. Right. Well, I mean, that was actually for me, the, the biggest driver in terms of going so deep into the, into that industry, like as much as I have a passion for and love the medical aspects of it and the ability to help people, uh, it's really the environmental aspect of it that got me the most excited. 
right? When you look at all of the things that can be effectively produced with hemp that are otherwise being produced with petroleum products or things that have much more negative impacts, mm-hmm. uh, the the environmental benefit of decriminalizing and having hemp become a major crop is actually fairly significant. Right. You can produce bioplastics with it. You can produce fuel with it. You can produce textiles with it and all with a tiny fraction of the resources that are necessary for doing that through any other mechanism. Where do we stand on that? Is it still illegal to produce hemp? Or, uh, Cause I keep seeing hemp products. So it must've been loosening up the restrictions a bit here. Yeah, it has loosened up quite a bit. There was a farm bill passed a couple of years ago at the federal level that started to open up the ability for hemp production in the U S previous to that you could like sell or use hemp products, but everything had to be imported Mm. and it's still not something that can be grown everywhere, but um, more and more States have opened up the opportunity for people to start doing large commercial cultivation. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's very rapidly on the rise. And a lot of that was initially focused on producing CBD since that's such a kind of hot thing in the Mm -hmm. market right now. But now that the supply chain for that's gotten enough, I'm starting to see more and more companies that are also using it to start moving into things like bioplastics and textiles. Mm-hmm. And is the plant versatile enough that, you know, you could produce basically all, I mean, like one grower could produce THC, CBD, and hemp, or do you have to get really specific with how you grow the plant and, and channel it toward a particular use? No, I mean, in, in theory, you could grow you know, just one large crop and be able to extract multiple different cannabinoids out of there. But most people don't. Um, it's often more efficient to have like hybridize particular strains yeah. that are really high in CBD or really high in THC and then grow them accordingly. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also legal standards around it. So like it, for a CBD product, it can't have more than 0.03% THC. So those, the plants that are used for production for CBD have been hybridized quite a bit to minimize the amount of THC that's present. Mm-hmm. And that way, once they finish the extraction process, it's still under the legal standard. Mm-hmm. That's not something, that's not because of health. That's just right. legal standards. Um, right. Right. Ideally, you know, for maximum benefit, you actually want to have trace amounts of all the different cannabinoids in there. Mm-hmm. There's what's known as the entourage effect where they they essentially synergistically work together to make the effect of each cannabinoid stronger. Right. Yeah, I've seen that in the, like the CBD that we got for our dog. You know, it's like it wanted to have a certain amount of THC in it just to activate or to right. optimize the experience somehow. This is kind of a curiosity for me as well. But, you know, I see all over the place uh, advertisements to invest in, you know, and to get in on the wave of investing in. And, you know, cannabinoids or how do you pronounce right. it? Cannab- how'd you cannabinoids. Say? Cannabinoids? Yeah. What do you think? Is the wave passed or is it still a big opportunity for for investors or for, you know, to, to get in on the game, so to speak? No, I, I think there's still an extraordinary amount of opportunity. I mean, the industry's grown tremendously in the last number of years, but realistically, it's still very much at its infancy. Okay. Um, and, you know, I anticipated growing much, much more over the next few years, Mm -hmm. but it is important to do a lot of diligence when investing in the space. Uh, 
because I mean, as is true everywhere, but I would say more so in the cannabis industry than in a lot of other industries, there's a lot of hype and misinformation and blockchain space, right? Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people got their ass handed to them in the blockchain and crypto space because of the hype and scams, but there's some really solid projects, you know, if you absolutely bear them out. Fascinating. Okay. Well, enough on cannabis. You know, I think um, I might go home and have, try a little gummy bear tonight. Just see how it goes. <laughs> My wife has some, I don't know, probably not. I'm not big on that. I haven't, I smoked a little bit of pot in uh, high school for about a few months until I saw my uh, saw a peer start to wear an army jacket and then drop out of school and join the army. And so I said, there's something, something evil about this. So I, I quit. Fortunately, yeah. full disclosure, I don't think I've ever said that on air, but there you have it. Mark Devine live. <laughs> so um, <laughs> how did you, let's talk about Neurohacker. Now, where did this idea come from? Like were you guys sitting around, after you know trying some cannabis and thc and saying oh let's let's change the world now in this area with optimizing total human not just the brain but the total human right <laughs> no actually uh cannabis had no part in it so the the actual inception for it was god almost 15 years ago now uh, it was in the early days of when i was running the college and about three, two and a half, three years into running the college, I had hit just like an extreme degree of burnout because mm -hmm. realistically it was way too big of a project for someone with my age and my skill at the time to be able to take on. And mm -hmm. so I just made up for that with putting in more hours and, you know, which is pretty much what everyone does. Right. right. That's, but, the, um, that's the American way. Work it, harder. <laughs> it does seem to be. Don't take care of yourself. Okay. It's an important thing to unlearn. Yeah, no doubt. But yeah, I had I had hit just like a pretty extreme degree of burnout where I was feeling depressed and unmotivated, which was then causing some existential crisis because I was doing work that I absolutely loved and felt passionate about, and yet I still felt crappy. Mm -hmm. um, my brain function wasn't what I had ever experienced it to be. I couldn't focus. There was just there was a lot of struggle that was happening, and so I started kind of doing my own self-exploration on how to heal that. And I tried and explored a number of things that were all helpful, but what ended up being the thing that really worked for me was I got introduced to a research physician down in Mexico that had developed a new type of IV therapy for rapidly healing neurotransmitter damage. Hmm. Um, and the therapy was actually designed for healing from drug abuse. Hmm. Uh, but when I had, you know, sat down and gone over it with him. He's like, based on the amount of stress you've been carrying and the lack of sleep, you, your brain is basically that of a heroin addict. So this will still work for you. Hmm. Um, and so I ended up doing this three day IV therapy for like eight, nine hours a day. Wow. And it was it vitamins or what, what were you pumping into your system? So I don't know definitively. Um, I, over That's the years, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and at the time I didn't know to vet things as well as I do now. Um, but, and I was fairly desperate, so it probably wouldn't have mattered. Right. Uh, but no, I, I have come to learn what was in it for the most part over the years. Um, the basis of it was NAD, uh, mm -hmm. 
which is a I recognize that from qualia mind, yep. right? Yeah. So, you know, NAD is the, the primary molecule you'll use for energy production in all of our cells. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was that it was a combination of a bunch of different amino acids. And then from what I gather, but I don't know this definitively, there was a small amount of GHB in it. Um, mm-hmm. which What's that? GHB, the common name for it is the date rape drug. Oh, wow. Um, Interesting which is obviously the evil use of it, but mm-hmm. it actually has some pretty extraordinary properties and is also used as a sleeping medication. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, in, in this particular circumstance, it was, it was a combination of those things and it just completely changed my whole experience of life and not in a subtle way. You know, like oftentimes when you take something, there's like a gradual progression. Sure. Yeah. This wasn't that it was like, by the end of the third day, it was as though the lights had just completely turned back on. And not only had my cognitive function came back to where I had previously experienced it, but I noticed it was significantly more than I had ever experienced it. And my sense of depression went away my motivation came back. But the thing that really stuck out to me was my sense of empathy just skyrocketed after doing that therapy. And Hmm. it became a situation where after that, any time that I thought about doing anything in the world, I was just no longer capable of thinking about it without thinking about what the implications of those actions were going to be on the people around me and the world at large. That's fascinating. And it just became sort of like... How do you account for that? Like, how, how do you account for this therapeutic liquid bath you took for three days to open up your heart when it was geared toward your brain? I guess the heart's got a brain, it is a brain in and of itself, so maybe that makes sense. Right. Because it's got neurotransmitters and neuronal activity down there. Yeah. I mean, in my view, there's sort of two primary things that I think happen there. One is that, you know, and I I have no scientific basis for this, but my belief is that being deeply empathetic and compassionate is our natural intrinsic state. Right. And that it's something that we unlearn as a result of the society that we live in. Mm -hmm. And so getting going through this therapy that just put me into a much healthier, more functional state where everything was working, I think allowed me to move back towards what was more intrinsic already. Mm -hmm. Part of it was just improving health automatically moves in that direction. Fascinating. Um, And then the other part is that, you know, we're, we're creatures of chemistry much more than people often, I think, like to admit, you know, we've all had the experience of being, really tired or really stressed out and seeing all of the effects that that has on us as a result of what's happening chemically or when a woman's on her cycle, there's obviously effects from that. And so compassion, empathy, all these things are experiences that are mediated through the brain and nervous system and through our chemistry. And those are things that have the ability to be directly affected. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think it was a combination of just getting into a generally better state, as well as some of those compounds having specific impact on the parts of the brain responsible for things like empathy. Mm-hmm. But it was, it was really that experience that spurred the idea for me. Cause when I was sitting there reflecting on what had just changed, it was like this light bulb went off. And I, I realized that if what just happened to me had the ability to be replicated and scaled, that it could have massive implications on the world, right? Because the idea was, could we meaningfully increase people's intelligence and not just in a specific area, but across all the major areas of intelligence? Could we increase their capacity 
And could we simultaneously increase their motivation so that they had an intrinsic driver to want to use that increased intelligence and that increased capacity, not only for their own personal gain, but to support their family, their communities and the world at large. And so there's just this deep inspiration that went off that said, wow, this, if we could figure out how to do this in a way that was scalable, not only can we profoundly improve quality of life at the individual level, but we can move vastly more resources into solving the hard problems of the world, because now you could have hundreds of thousands or prospectively millions of people with increased intelligence, capacity, and empathy. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was really where the concept initiated. Um, but then it took a good number of years to get to a place where we could actually start working on it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, the, the man who had developed that therapy, unfortunately passed away very shortly after I had done my work with him. Mm. And so a lot of his research became unaccessible. Um, I spent the next several years where I was running other companies, interviewing chemists, formulators, neuroscientists, trying to find someone who could deliver on the science of that concept. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone loved the concept, but said it was fundamentally impossible mm. uh, to actually have that much change through some kind of simple intervention. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it wasn't until about five or so years ago now, um, I, I was at Burning Man um, and doing uh, some deep reflection on what I wanted next in life. And I got re-inspired around this concept and decided that it was just too important of a thing not to exist in the world. Mm-hmm. And on the drive home, I started sharing the vision with my brother. Mm-hmm. And as he really got the scope of what it was that I was talking about, he was like, okay, I'm in. And him joining was what made the science possible. Right. And was, he had learned all a lot of that through his own self-healing. I remember him telling me, like he yeah. had gone deep on how the body operates at a cellular level and, you know, what interacts with what in terms of the neurochemicals and and so that, yeah, that marriage there, the two of you, so to speak, anyways, in terms of business, right. I see that being the catalyst. Yeah. I mean, it ended up being extraordinary. Um, you know, I mean, his background for many years was in complex system science right. and, you know, he had used complex systems modeling for in, in the think tank space for you know, working on things like new systems of governance, new mm-hmm. systems of economics. Uh, but then I guess around a decade or so ago, he had gotten diagnosed with a fatal autoimmune disorder that had no known cures in either allopathic or natural medicine. Mm -hmm. And it was one that starts by attacking cognitive function. Mm. And so he realized right away that he was the kind of person who could figure out a solution if anyone could, but he also had a very narrow window in which to do that before cognitive function started to decline. So we basically put everything else on pause, dove into research for eight, 10 hours a day, and ended up developing a treatment plan for himself that allowed him to fully reverse the autoimmune markers. (laughs) And in the process, came to have a very deep understanding of neurochemistry. And it was really that that allowed for the development of the scientific model that we now use, which Mm -hmm. is all based on complex systems modeling. Right. It's interesting. Before I want to get into kind of some of the um, your kind of product roadmap and like how they work and what the effects are, or you know, what you're hoping to achieve. But it's fascinating to me because you know I, I'm very much of a um, I come from you know as a Navy SEAL and as a you know yoga practitioner for many years and a martial artist you know since 1985, so that counts for many years. Mm-hmm. 
the subjective side of, you know, let's, uh, if you change your, you know, if you change your mind, you change your state, you change your quality of your thinking, your energetic state in your body, then that'll have a dramatic effect on the biology, which will then lead to neuroplastic effect, change in the brain, leads to greater health. And essentially as an energetic system, you, you're imprinting the ideal, uh, optimal human through your mind power. Mm-hmm. And our, our mission at Unbeatable Mind is to train and inspire 100 million to this path of basically become self-evolutionary human beings. It's super cool for me to hear that simultaneously you can approach this from the biological perspective, right? And upgrade the biology. And if you can upgrade the biology and the psychology simultaneously and they walk in lockstep, wow. Now you have a, a completely new model that even blows away what the yogis had because they basically just said, eat, vegeta- eat vegetarian, uh-huh. <laughs> drink some water. So now we have a way to really, and then you combine that maybe with some, you know, virtual reality, AI type training models that can accelerate, you know, what's going on with the, with the actual subjective experiences Right. We really, we really are entering a new age where the human being has the potential to really rapidly grow, you know, and out of the old age where f- less than 5% of humanity ever grew at all right. in their lifetime. And then and any growth that did occur was by accident or by crisis, you know, and there were only a few people who really understood kind of the yogi path. So that's, I went off on a little tangent there, but that's really exciting to me. This confluence of oh, subjective and objective growth models, you know, coming together. I think, you know, when you start to marry the different kinds of practices and technologies, you, mm-hmm. the effects can be extraordinary, right? So right. you have mental training that you're doing, you've got physical training, and you're doing biochemical work. Mm-hmm. You're, you know, basically hitting all the different facets of self in a way that can produce just remarkable upgrades in fairly short order. Right. Um, you know, my, I started more on the, the psychology and mind training side of it, which is still a deep passion of mine, but the chemistry side ended up becoming a big thing for me because, you know, when I was running the college and I was, I spent a couple of years doing one-on-one counseling work with people. And one of the things that I would see over and over again was that some people would seem to be able to make changes relatively easily and some people would work incredibly hard and very little change would happen. Right. And so I started to try to make sense of what was underneath that. And, you know, obviously some of it had to do with what was the degree of challenge or trauma they were starting with, mm-hmm. what was, how supportive was their environment, mm-hmm. you know, a bunch of things. But one of the things I noticed was that generally speaking, those that were physically healthier had an easier time being able to make upgrades in their psychology than those right. that weren't. Yeah. And so that kind of started me looking into this more and realizing that, you know, if we, if we start by supporting the chemistry, it makes a lot of the other things much more doable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're, if chemically you're feeling good, you've got energy, you've got you know a sense of presence to you. It's a lot easier to, make to get yourself up and do that breathwork practice or to go exercise or to meditate or whatever the other things are. The chemistry affects mood so much, right? And and mood or attitude. Yeah. There's no amount of positive thinking that can get you out of a real funk if you're, you haven't slept for days and if you're eating junk food, you know? Right. So I see what you're saying. 
Yeah. But yeah, I mean, ideally those all come together and that's where, you know, things like what we're both doing in conjunction end up having the best effects, right? Right. Where people can do some of the chemistry support. They can also do brain training. They can get their right. bodies healthy. Right. That's where, you know, that's sort of the synergy where it all comes together. Right. So let's talk about quality of mind and quality of life. The two mm-hmm. products that I, I really love and they're very different. But I'd love to hear from your your words, not as a scientist, but generally as the CEO of Neurohacker. Like, what are the you know what's the impact of these products, and how do they work? Generally speaking, yeah. So it's useful to get a little bit of a basis of kind of how we think about and approach science and product development. Mm-hmm. So I, I mentioned that you know, we developed a new sort of scientific model based on complex system science. That is how we do our research, and really. What that translates to is that our research is largely all based on studying healthy systems and coming to understand what it is that allows them to be and stay healthy and particularly studying their adaptive capacity and then designing products that are oriented around being able to increase that adaptive capacity in whatever system we're focused on. Mm -hmm. So like quality of mind, for instance, which is our sort of flagship product focused on improving brain function. There's a lot of products on the market oriented around increasing brain function, but most of them take a fairly narrow view and narrow scope of what's trying to be accomplished. So most of the time when people think about brain function, they really just think about focus and attention span. And those are things that are fairly easy to increase by increasing the amount of dopamine that you have. Mm -hmm. So almost every product, that's out there essentially takes that approach of saying, let's either provide more dopamine or dopamine precursor. You'll have more of that. You'll have better focus. Everything will be good. Mm-hmm. But that ends up running into a number of problems, right? One is that if you're taking something externally for an extended period of time, your body stops producing as much of it and you start to develop some sense of dependency. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, the other side that people don't necessarily pay as much attention to is that all the neurotransmitters are supposed to operate in, in a type of balance. And if you override the natural system and increase something disproportionately to the other things, you will have a benefit in a certain area, but you inevitably create detriment in other areas. Mm-hmm. So like if you just ramp up dopamine, you will be really focused, but it'll reduce your capacity for discernment and critical thinking. And it'll also reduce the conductivity in the parts of the brain responsible for things like empathy and compassion. Interesting. And so we never wanted to take that approach, right? Our approach was to look at cognitive function broadly and say, okay, what are all the facets of cognitive function, right? Attention and focus is obviously part of it, but so is memory and all the different types of memory, short-term, long-term working memory, critical thinking, visual reasoning. There's, there's a bunch of different types. And so we wanted to look at what could we do that would enhance all of the different aspects of cognitive function, but more importantly, enhance the underlying sort of physiological system so that your body's able to produce more of whatever it needs to in the moment as it needs to. Mm -hmm. So we don't just want you to have more dopamine. We want your body to be able to produce more of that in the moments that you need to focus, but we want it to be able to produce more of whatever it needs to based on what's occurring. So that's essentially the the core approach that we take with Mm -hmm. almost everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with mind, you know, the really extraordinary thing there is that when you start taking it, you start to notice meaningful increases across all different types of cognitive function. 
and not just function, but also your sort of experience of life. Mm -hmm. They're part of what tends to occur there is elevation and mood um, and elevation and sense of overall capacity, which then makes you more present to and more engaged in life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's really where this product becomes quite unique is you, it works to support the underlying physiology and systems that are already there such that everything works meaningfully better and does so in a sustainable fashion. You don't end up having any kind of you know up and then crash because it's not stimulant based. Right. It's really just based on supporting the the underlying chemistry that's already present. Okay, so what about um, formerly Eternus, the new qualia uh, life, the longevity? Yeah. And I, I, you know, I don't, I'm such a caveman when it comes to ingredients. I actually had them up the other day because I got qualia life in the mail. I'm like, what is this? Because I used to get Eternus with a green label. And then I was like, oh, they must have rebranded it, which is a good move, by the way. Thanks. And I'm like comparing the ingredients and it's almost like very little of this ingredients in quality of life, you know, kind of uh-huh. are the same as in quality of mind. They're, they're really different formulations dramatically, right. aren't they? Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of vitamins yeah. and minerals that have crossover because they have applicability in the different areas. Right. But yeah, they're, they're predominantly totally different formulas. Um, so yeah, quality of life is the product that we launched focused on sort of the anti-aging and longevity side of things. And it's, it's kind of two things, right? One is looking at how do we increase longevity to so increase the total number of years someone's on the planet, mm-hmm. but that in and of itself is not all that exciting of a goal. If the quality of health is not particularly good. Mm-hmm. So we, uh, we talk more about increasing health span, right? So it's of the years that you're alive, what portion of those are you in good health and thriving? And that's really kind of the core focus of that product. And the way that we approach it is at a pretty foundational level, right? The whole premise of this product is to improve the functionality of cells across the entire body, particularly focused on increasing the amount of energy production that cells are able to have. Okay. And so within that, you know, there's a number of key things that are well known and studied in terms of what have positive effect there. And so, you know, we designed a comprehensive formula that addressed multiple different pathways that all have direct effect on how much energy production cells are able to produce. And then as well as how well are they able to reproduce in and of themselves mm-hmm. with, you know, probably the biggest one and, and the area that I think is most known and talked about in the general health space right now is in and around NAD. Mm-hmm. Right? So same thing we were talking about with the IV therapy I did, but NAD is the primary, essentially fuel source that all cells utilize. Mm-hmm. And it's something that most people have in fairly high degrees in younger in life. But as we age, the production starts to go down somewhat significantly. And there's, you can't take NAD orally. It entirely breaks down in the GI tract from stomach acids. So there is the ability to do that intravenously, which I think is awesome and recommend regularly. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what can be done orally is that there are a number of precursors that you can take that will cause the body to increase the amount of NAD that it's already able to produce. And that's kind of the general approach that's often already happening. There's a few other companies that are making products with precursors to NAD, but 
just increasing the amount doesn't necessarily increase the body's ability to utilize it. And so often what happens is you increase the amount, but the body can't utilize it and you just have expensive urine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so what we did was we studied the entire you know, set of pathways associated with NAD and not only formulated to increase the amount, but also to essentially close the salvage pathway so that rather than dumping the NAD, your body recirculates it and is able to make use of all of it. And so even with you know, a relatively small amount, it has a more net positive effect than if you were to just take a bunch of precursors directly. Mm-hmm. And the results with that product have been pretty awesome. That was, you know, like with Qualia Mind, that was designed as a product that you're going to feel right away. Right. And almost everyone, I would say a good 85% of people feel it the first time they take it. Mm-hmm. Some people take a few days if they've got a lot of sleep deprivation. With Qualia Life, where it's designed to improve cell functionality and overall health, it wasn't something we were designing to have subjective experience with, mm-hmm. at least in the short term, right? We knew that over the course of months, people would feel it because they would be feeling healthier. Mm-hmm. But we've actually seen really remarkable feedback where I would say at least half of the people who have taken the product end up writing in saying that within the first couple of weeks, they're noticing improvements in sleep quality, they're new improvements in recovery time from any kind of exercise or injury, as well as just an overall sense of energy increase hmm. and some cognitive benefit as well. Interesting. That's not the prime focus here. The prime right. focus here is essentially addressing foundational health. Yeah. How do you end up studying that biologically? Like what, what are you going to do or what can you do to kind of validate results beyond, mm-hmm. you know, a, a testimonial? Yeah. So we're, we're actually in the process of doing some studies around that right now. There's two that we have going one that's using a device called the age meter, mm-hmm. which does a, has people do a series of tests, but also does some biomarkers and is designed to determine biological age, which is obviously different than chronological age. Mm-hmm. And so we've taken, I don't remember the number of people offhand, but we've taken a number of people through that um, where they were doing testing before they ever started the product um, and then part of the way through. And then again, at the end of a couple months and the data, they're still early and we're still making sense of it. And then we're also in doing a study right now to actually check uh, NAD levels in the blood in a, again, mm-hmm. before and after kind of a dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, we've actually done all of the blood draws around that. And unfortunately everything's just sitting on ice because the same labs that uh, no, process that or processing testing. COVID tests. So we're right. kind of at a standstill. Right. Uh, so I don't actually know when the results of that are going to be coming out yet, but we did do a number of blood tests to be able to see how much NAD levels were actually mm-hmm. increasing. And then those are both sort of smaller pilot studies with 20 or so people each, mm-hmm. which is usually what we do. And then once we've got the data from that, it helps inform doing a larger study. And so like right now we're doing our first double blind placebo controlled clinical trial with Qualia Mind. Mm-hmm. And we had done a few pilot studies previously that informed the design of that study. That makes sense. We hear a lot of talk about telomere length in terms of, you know, aging longer the telomeres reduce aging. Do you think uh, Qualia Life will affect telomere uh, health or length? Or whatever that means. Right. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question and one that I'm only mildly qualified to answer. 
I've talked with my science team here about it quite a bit. And the general take on our research is that telomere length is more the symptom than the cause. Interesting. So where there has been quite a lot of research and work being put into increasing telomere length, thinking that that would increase longevity, mm-hmm. at least in the research we've done to date around it, what we're finding is that telomere length is more representation of longevity based on other factors that are already happening. Makes sense. Looking more at things like NAD and AMPK and ATP. And um, so at least as far as we go right now, we're not actively doing research to try to focus on increasing telomere length. We are studying that space, but what we're seeing is sort of a different understanding and a different approach to it. Mm-hmm. But that's still an area that's relatively early on in research for us. Right. That makes sense. Interesting. Well, we're kind of getting long in the tooth here, so I need to wrap up soon and let you get back to running a global collective of neurohackers. Um, what's, what's next? Like, what's the roadmap look like? What's next for you guys? Well, you know, we're continuing to develop products in other categories of health. So we actually just launched our first sleep product a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm called Qualia Night. Um, I'm a few days onto it and loving it so far. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we finished development on a comprehensive immune formula that's scheduled to come out this fall. Oh, nice. You're going to have to come up with something that integrates all this stuff so that we don't have to take like 37 <laughs> caplets every day. Yeah. <laughs> like one big honking caplet. like, this is it. Qualia Mind, Qualia Life, Qualia Immunity. Probably asleep. That's yes. <laughs> I I would love to do that. Um, I mean, ultimately, where I'd like probably to probably not a good go, decision. <laughs> well, you know, we don't. We're sort of a weird company because we don't make business decisions because they're good business decisions. We make them because they're good ethical decisions. Nice. And there's a lot of decisions that we make that appear to be very bad business decisions that actually work out quite well for us. I like. I that. mean, yeah. look at our products, for instance. We're like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna launch products into categories that people have a lot of doubt about. Mm-hmm. We're gonna launch them at a price point substantially above everybody else, mm-hmm. and we're gonna make them have too many capsules, so they're hard to take. And these are all <laughs> terrible business decisions. It's terrible, right? <laughs> and and yet, it somehow has worked really well because you know the cost is representative of the quality and the ingredients that we're using. The capsule count is representative of the amount of total active ingredients that we're delivering the benefit from taking it is enough that it's worth overcoming those obstacles Mm -hmm. but if we were doing this from a pure business perspective we would have just built a much more simple product like everyone else generally focuses on and had a much easier time selling it but that wasn't the goal right goal was how do we actually profoundly improve quality of life and advance the whole domain of that science at the same time. Yeah. Well, thank you for having that stand because it's, it's really what drew me to the company and the products. And I'm sure everyone who's a a fan of the neurohacker collective, it's nice to have a change the world vision to guide you. Right. Cause then your decision-making is very different. Like you said, that's very cool. So um, if someone wanted to, go check out Neurohacker and your mission and the podcast. I mean, just the, just go to the website, right? Neurohacker.com. Yep. 
Yeah, okay. pretty much everything's there. The product, all the detail on the products and the formulation, like it's unbelievable the detail you go into on the formulation. It's like a lot of that's another thing a lot of companies wouldn't be so public about because they'd be worried about intellectual property. But you just open the kimono and lay it all out there, don't you? It was another one of our bad business decisions that I'm very happy about. <laughs> right. Right. Everyone at the beginning thought we were insane. They're like, why, why would you actually put all the details of your product on the label as opposed to doing a proprietary formula? Right. But you know, as an organization that's advocating not just health, but people taking their own empowerment around their health, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you can't simultaneously tell someone that they should become more empowered in their own decision making and then not provide them with the information that would allow for effective decision making. Right. So yeah. for us, it was critical that we want people to know exactly what ingredients were in there, what the form of them was, and what the dosage was, right. and not just have you know a proprietary blend of a bunch of things. Right. Well, that's cool. So neurohacker.com, if you want to go check it out. And by the way, um, because I'm a user and an investor, um, James has graciously given us, you, if you're listening, uh, 50% off on your first month. You can cancel the subscription. It's good to do as a subscription. You want to really take this, in my opinion, for a few months to really feel the benefit. And also, if you use the code unbeatable at checkout, you get 15% off. And honestly, I, like I never intended to make the last, you know, one third of this podcast sound like <laughs> a promotion for, <laughs> for quality of mind and quality of life. But I really do believe in them. And, and I love that, that kind of what we were talking about, that kind of synchronicity of you take care of the, the brain and body health obviously through exercise, nutrition, and, and good sleep, but it's also this uh, new wave of really well-researched supplementation can have a dramatic effect, and it does, then that's a no-brainer, so to speak. And then you combine that with all the subjective training, you know, the breath work, the visualization, concentration, mindfulness, all that stuff, and you got a one-two punch, you know, that, that'll make you unbeatable. I Absolutely. Optimize human. Ooh, yeah. Well, James, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Mark. And uh, give my best to your brother, Daniel, and Jordan, if you talk to him. Got a great team over there. And uh, keep uh, doing what you're doing. Sounds good. Yeah. Thanks. Ooh, yeah. Have a great rest of the day. This was a blast. Yeah, thank you very much. Appreciate it. All right, folks, that's uh, Unbeatable Mind Podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. And uh, I do recommend you try the quality of mind and the uh, quality of life. They're really extraordinary products. And I apologize if you think this was just a big pitch. It wasn't. That's fascinating stuff for me. And I wanted the answers on all that stuff. So hopefully you found it interesting. And until next time, stay focused. Hoo-yah. Divine out.